to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. Acts chapter 26, beginning of verse 24. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Now notice this. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. I'm preaching today almost a Christian. Almost a Christian. You can be seated. We celebrated Thanksgiving Day this week. We had a good time at the Sistar house. Everybody came over between my mom and Leah and Sonia I thought the pilgrims were coming over. We ate, oh my goodness. And we're still eating leftovers. And it was fun and to have the family there. That's so special and important to me. One day, one time that day, and I'm pretty sure it was Thursday, Leah and I were sitting there taking a break from getting ready for that night. And I don't know, I got sentimental, I got nostalgic, I got to thinking And I told Leah, I said, I look at where we are. I look what God has done in us and for us. And I said, honey, we are so blessed. And I I started crying. I couldn't stop crying. I apologized to her. I said, I can't help it. I'm just crying. She said, it's okay. I said, I remember when we didn't have much. I I remember when, when, you know, we just didn't have a whole lot of things. I mean, I'd get the Bass Pro Shop or Cabela's book and I'd look through it, you know, and just dream, wishing I had the money to buy this and that and this, but I just didn't have that kind of money. And I, and I said, I just look now, I said, look where we've come from. Yeah, that was just an example, but I just said, look, you know, remember when it was tight, I remember we didn't have a lot, but I said, God always took care of us and we were always blessed. And then I said, I look where we are now and I said, I'm just so thankful to God. How many of you feel that way? You're just thankful for what you have and what God has done in your life. And those are just physical things beyond that. And we're in church, and, and this, is, this is at the top of the list. I'm just thankful for Jesus. That's at the top of the list. And I'm thankful for the gift of salvation. I'm thankful for the gift of eternal life. I'm thankful that he came to die on the cross for my sins. I'm thankful that my sins have been washed away. We, I read that passage or quoted it in Revelation 1. I'm glad my sins are washed away. How about y'all? I'm glad the fear, the guilt, the shame are all gone. I just thank God. I'm glad I'm right with God. I'm thankful, but, and I know many of you can join with me in that expression of thanksgiving, but I'm thinking this morning of a category of people who cannot join with me, who cannot join with you because they aren't saved. They've almost been saved. They're not a Christian but they're almost a Christian. I think King Agrippa would have qualified to be in this group. When you get to Acts chapter 26, Paul has been arrested by the Romans based on trumped up charges brought by the Jews. And he is under 
the stewardship of the governor, uh, Roman governor Festus, and he puts him in house arrest or in arrest for two years. And, and so Paul's unable to preach the gospel because he's in this situation of two years of arrest. But then King Agrippa and his wife comes to visit Festus, and Agrippa was the Jewish ruler, a Jewish ruler over northern Palestine. He, he has that position because Rome has enabled him to have that position. And so when he comes to visit Festus, Festus is telling him about Paul, and King Agrippa knew about Paul. And he said, oh, I would love to hear this guy. I've heard things about him. I would love to hear him ex- himself. And so Festus says, we're going to make that happen. And so Paul was brought before the two rulers and I love this about Paul. He takes the opportunity not to be intimidated or, or to beg for his life or his freedom, but he takes the opportunity to, to recount the story of his conversion. That's crazy, isn't it? You know, on the road to Damascus and the bright light and how he, how he was saved, how he persecuted the church, but God saved. And then Paul starts talking about Jesus and his death and his resurrection. And then Paul starts talking about the need to repent and to turn from your sins and to turn away to God. This guy's preaching to two powerful individuals and unashamedly with boldness, he's preaching to them. And then he does something that's a little bit scandalous. Right there in front of everybody, because it wasn't just Agrippa and his wife and Festus and his wife. There was an entourage, and maybe the Jewish leaders were there. And Paul is standing there, and Paul says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? He questions him in front of everybody. Now, the reason he did that is because Agrippa was a Jew, and he knew the Old Testament. He knew the messianic prophecies. He knew about Jesus. He knew that Jesus had died and risen from the grave and that that had been a whole deal. And he knew that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament messianic prophecies. So Paul is setting him up. His question, though, places him in a dilemma. Because if he answers yes, then he's going to counteract what Festus has said. Because Festus just said, Paul, I don't believe you're mad. And if he says yes, he's going to upset the Jewish leaders. And so instead of giving a direct answer back to Paul, he gives an answer around the bush. And some scholars think that he may have even made a joke about it. He was sort of making a joke, but yet there seems to be some semblance of truthfulness and honesty that might be there as well in Agrippa. And he says, maybe chuckling, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost. Almost. Very nearly, but not quite. And here's what I hear Agrippa saying, Paul, you very nearly convinced me to become a Christian, but I'm not entirely there yet. I'm convinced a little, And I know what you're saying is true. I know the Old Testament. I know the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. I know about Jesus. You're right, he wasn't done in a corner. I'm fully aware that he died and three days later, the tomb's empty. I know that and I know that what he did and who he said he was matches exactly the Old Testament prophets. But Paul, listen to me. I'm just not willing to commit my whole life to the Lord right now. I know I need to be saved, but this is not a good time for me. I'm not ready. How many sinners have heard the gospel, felt Holy Spirit 
conviction get all over them. Received an invitation to be saved, to pray, to give their life to the Lord, only to say to the person, I know you're right. I know I'm not right with God. I know I'm on my way to hell. And I know that Jesus is the only way. I know that he died for my sins. I know that, but I'm just not there yet. I'm not ready. I need more time. Why would anyone do this? From my perspective as a believer, this baffles me. I don't get it. If I'm sick and the doctor has a solution, I go to the doctor. If I have a legal issue, I pick up the phone and call an attorney and they give me an answer. If I've got a financial situation, I pick up the phone and I call the banker and the banker helps me get the solution to my financial problem. Jesus is the answer for the world today. We have a sin problem. If you're a sinner, you have a sin problem. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the answer to your sin problem. Run to him and he'll fix it. And he'll change you. I don't get it. Doesn't make sense. And this whole thing about waiting. I got to wait. Not right now. I don't get it. 2 Corinthians 6.2. Let me give you the Lord's perspective. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold. Now is the appointed time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The Lord doesn't, doesn't say you have to wait. I've had people say to me, I got to get some things right. I've got to take care of some things before I can get saved. And I have to look up in them and say, no, you don't. There is nowhere in the Bible that says if you're going to get saved that you have to straighten up some things and you have to make some changes to qualify to come to Jesus. I get the thrill and the joy and the privilege to stand here today and tell you the truth. You come, what did Billy Graham say all those years through that guy singing? You just come as you are. Without one plea, without one change, without negotiating and say, Lord, I've, I've straightened up here and here and I've still got a mess here. You just bring your mess with you. You just bring your trash with you. With you. you bring your garbage with you. You bring all the mess with you and you say, Lord, here I am. And the Lord takes you and washes you and makes you clean. I don't get the whole waiting thing. He can do it right now. Why wouldn't a person want to trade in sin and an eternal damnation and guilt and fear and shame and condemnation for salvation and eternal life and joy and peace and love and a right relationship with God? I don't get it. But maybe the reason why I don't get it is because I'm on this side of the cross. He saved me. He's changed me. I see. I see the benefits. But when you're on this side of the cross, you look at it one way. When you're on this side of the cross, it's a different perspective. Because to come to Christ and to be saved when you're on this side of the cross means that there's going to be a radical transformation in my life. It is the desertion of a familiar life of sin for a new life in Christ. And this is a 
big, major decision with multiple ramifications. I get that. And I get that when you're on this side of the cross, there is a cost to assess because there is a price that must be paid. I'm going to tell you today, when you get saved, it'll cost you something. It might cost you your boyfriend. It might cost you your girlfriend. It might cost you your best friend. It might cost you your group of friends that you hang out with. Getting saved could cost you a promotion at work. Getting saved could cost you an advancement in your career. Hey, getting saved could cost you your job. There's a price to be paid if you're going to come to Jesus Christ. It may put a strain on your marriage if you have an unsaved spouse. There will be activities that will have to end. There will be places that you will no longer go to. There will be events that you will have to give up. It's different when you're over here. You need to think those things through. Jesus said that. What man building a building doesn't first count the cost? Lest he get the thing started and get halfway there and run out of money. And then everybody who goes by the place says, look at there. He started, but he couldn't finish. Because see, if you're going to start and step to the cross and get on this side, Jesus wants you to stay there and finish all the way. Jesus said, what king going out to battle against another king with his army Count doesn't count the cost. The king says, I've got 10,000 men, but that king has 20,000 men. His army is twice the size of mine. Can I defeat him with my 10,000 men? He has to count the cost. The reality is, you're outnumbered two to one. You're going to lose. And so you count the cost and say, you know, maybe the better thing is not to fight it. Maybe the better thing is to go and talk about terms of surrender. See, it's the same thing when you come to Jesus. You've been fighting conviction and the Holy Spirit and getting saved all these years. But when it starts getting serious, you have to say, am I going to keep on fighting or am I going to come to the Lord and say, I'm ready to surrender? It's going to cost you something. I know through the years, this goes all the way back to the years when I was a youth pastor, always seems like one of the big issues is friends. I don't want to get saved, Pastor, because I lose my friends. If I get saved, my friends won't want to hang out with me anymore. I, I won't have anybody. Now, my dad's here this morning, and I'm going to steal one of his lines. My dad preached a sermon for years because he was a state official, so he would travel to different churches. And that message was so powerful, he wanted all of those churches to hear it. So he would, well, I, he would preach it. Well, I would travel with him, and I heard that message many times. And I was a teenager, and, and he would say this line, and it would just it would mess me up. And I was living right, but it would still mess me up. It would slap me in the face and grab my attention. My dad would preach on something very similar to this about your friends and then dad would say this, what kind of friend would drag your soul to hell? And dad would say, is that a friend? Is that a friend? Let me tell you, that's not a friend. You might need to rethink your definition. I don't, 
of a friend. I don't care if you grew up together. I don't care if you graduated together. I don't care if y'all got in trouble together. I don't care if you were best men in each other's weddings or maids of honor in weddings. It doesn't matter. If you have somebody in your life that is saying to you, don't get saved, don't do it. If you do that, it'll hurt our relationship. It'll stop us from being able to do what we always do. That's not a friend. They're just looking out for themselves. They don't care about you. Good preaching, Pastor Chris. I don't need hand clapping. I just had to help myself. Can I just be plain? You need to put on your big boy pants. You need to put on your big girl pants and make your own decision. Because this is not about your friends. This is about you and God. Hell will be full of people who attended church, can quote scriptures, can recite the gospel and tell you all kinds of things about Jesus. Hell will be full of people who can count the number of times they had an opportunity to be saved and almost gave their lives to Jesus. I'm trying to stand here today to say, why would you want to do that when you could get saved today? When you could get squared up with God today and you think the life you're living is normal, it's abnormal. Drinking all night and then puking your guts out, hanging on to a toilet is not normal. Sticking a needle in your arm to put a foreign substance in there to get you high is not normal. Normal people run from needles. not making fun of your addiction but what I'm telling you is it's not normal it's not normal it's not normal when you get saved and your eyes are open you'll say wow the life I've been living has been unbelievably extraordinarily abnormal but this is normal to be made whole and right and clean and to be in Christ and a new creation and get a fresh start Hallelujah. Done that in a while. Woo! Done that in a while either. It's been a long time, hasn't it, since I've done that. I haven't let loose a whoop in a while. Can you feel my heart today? When I was growing up, we used to sing a song that I think will help anybody here to get the right perspective. We used to sing to people, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. And then we'd say, no turning back. No turning back. So how can you sing like that? Because we'd sing the cross before me and the world behind me. I'm just going to keep the cross before me and keep the world behind me. I'll keep the cross before me and the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. But pastor, how can you make that kind of commitment? You got to say, though none go with me, still I'm going to follow. Though none go with me, I'm still going to follow. Though none go with me, I'm still going to follow. No turning back. No turning back.
Hundreds of people in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. Listen, when it comes to being saved, almost is not enough. Pastor Terrence and I had a conversation that sparked this message. He had no idea that the Holy Spirit would use him. I was plagued for hours after we finished talking. I could not shake it, and I know how God deals with me. He said that he was praying with a young man who came to him who, like Agrippa, knew the word and knew that Jesus was the answer and knew he was a sinner and knew he needed to be saved and he came all the way to the altar. When Pastor T said, let's pray, he said, no, I'm not ready to do that yet. And so instead of praying with him, Pastor Ford prayed for him. And in his inimitable way, he said, he got halfway saved. And I understood what he meant. Almost made it. Almost, but not quite. You cannot almost trust Jesus. You cannot almost be convinced of him as your savior. You cannot almost rely on him for salvation. You cannot almost obey him, almost follow him, almost yield your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and all the rest. Listen to me. It cannot be almost. It must be all in. I'm going to close with this. and I'm coming down here, so camera follow me. I was praying, Lord, how would you like me to end this? Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. And the Lord took me in the spirit to Mark chapter 10. There's a story there, and it'll be subtitled this probably in your Bible, of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. For those of you who are 20s, 30s, maybe even 40s, just think about that. He's rich. Don't we all want to have all the money? We'd want. And he's young. That leaves some of us out. But he's young and he's a ruler. He's got a position. He made it. He arrived. I don't know what he was ruling. I guess maybe in the synagogue or maybe it was in a local jurisdiction. I don't know, but he had a position and he had power and he, he had prestige and he had fame. He made it. Woo! This man, the Bible says, you have to read Mark. Mark, I love what Mark, the Bible says, this is what the Bible says. Running to him, running to, he ran to Jesus and falling on his knees, he said, Lord, what do I have to do to be saved? That's powerful. Every preacher wants that to happen when they give an altar call. Every time, here it's occurring. But the Son of God, who knows everything, knew that this old boy, young boy, had some issues that had to be addressed. 
You can't ever outsmart Jesus. Don't even try. He'll trip you up every time. So the Lord looked at him and said, hmm, I'll tell you what you do. Why don't you just go keep all the law of Moses? Go keep all the Ten Commandments. Kind of brushed him off. Well, Jesus knows that doesn't save you. But he was setting that boy up. And I love this. His answer is comical. You know me, I have a sense of humor, so I'm going to find humor in anything that's there. That boy's, who knows, he's like, what, 25? He said, Lord, from my youth up, I've kept all of them. What's it been, like five years, you know? I think it was a lifetime. But it's, what, my youth up, I've kept all of them. Now, you know what's so significant about that? He was saying, I'm not a lawbreaker. I'm not a sinner. I'm coming to you to be saved, but I'm not a sinner. I'm not a bad person. See, the Lord nailed him. Nailed him. Let me tell you this morning, if you're going to be saved, you have to admit you're a sinner. That's, that's, that's first base. That's starting point. You have to say, I'm not right with God. I am not right with God, and I am in desperate need of somebody to save me. And the only person that can do that is Jesus. That's where you have to be. I love this because Mark, Luke and Matthew don't tell this, but Mark, Mark's one of my favorite gospels anyway because he, he writes to a Gentile audience and he, he likes action words. It's like watching a movie when you read the gospel of Mark. And Mark says that Jesus looked on him and loved him. That's what it says. He loved him. You know what that tells me today and somebody needs to hear this, that if you're almost a Christian, you're almost there, but you're not, he still loves you. He can just brush you off and say, you're a waste of my time. Keep playing and toying around. I'm done with you. But he doesn't. He still loves you. He cares about you. He won't give up. Oh, the overwhelming never-ending, reckless love of God. No mountain he won't climb up. No shadow he won't shine in. All those things we see, he, it's that the, sing, the songwriters, we were singing it, he'll pursue you and go after you all the way to the day you tell him no and breathe your last. So that after the Lord got him bared, exposed, loved him then he gave him the right answer he said I want you to go and sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and then come take up your cross and follow me now that's how you get saved see he hadn't gone to the cross yet but he was pointing to the cross and if he kept following Jesus to the cross he'd had to say you're, my, you're the Savior. You're my Savior now. You're the Savior, and you'll always be the Savior. So, so Jesus was going to follow me, and i take you to the cross. And that, that young man, I don't know. I guess he had bought it. I guess he had spent the money and restored a 1967 convertible baby blue Mustang. And he just couldn't see. Boy, I mean, he rebuilt that thing, and he just couldn't see just selling it and giving it to poor people. And then he had that 21-foot brand-new Phoenix boat with all the bells and whistles, and Jesus wants him to go sell it. I mean, you know, you don't ever get all your money back on something like that. Then you're going to give it to the poor? 
And I mean, Lord, I got my Lexus out there that my husband bought me, my Lexus Camel. I'm trying to make it work here, folks. With white wall hooves. And you want me to sell it and give the money to poor people? I don't. But see, he had an idol in his life. He's he's such a liar. He's so deceived. I've kept all the commandments. Well, you broke number one. You shall have no other gods before me. And he had all kinds of stuff that he loved more than Jesus. Almost. Now, y'all, go back. He's run. He's out of breath. He's fallen on his knees. Lord, what do I have to do to be saved? Keep the commandments. I've done that from my youth up. He knows that's not the right answer. What do I need to be to Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and come take up your cross, sacrifice everything. Follow me. He's on his knees. Almost there. But what does he do? He never says a word. The Bible says he started crying. At least it implies it. For it says that he became sad and he went away sorrowful. If he wasn't crying on the outside, he was crying on the inside. So what I read, here's how I play it out. And when he heard that, he got up, looked the Lord in the face with one of those, are you serious? That's what it takes? I have to give you everything and follow you? turns around and he walks away the Bible says he was sad sorrowful he walked away because he had great riches he didn't say empty out his bank account dude probably had enough money to go buy another Lexus Campbell 21 foot Phoenix and get another Mustang rebuilt but that wasn't what the issue was the issue was They mattered the most to him. And y'all, he ran, he knelt, he's right before the Savior. He's that close. He almost got saved. But he got up and walked away. Almost became a Christian. I want you to stand with me. I warned you. I warned you. And now I ask you a question. What is standing between you and God? What is standing between you and God? What is it? What is it that you're holding on to? Who is it? What's her name? What's his name? Who is it? Is it that important? What happened in the past? What did somebody say? What bitterness is keeping you? What hurt?
somehow made it in as a member. You give tithes, which is great. The Lord blesses you because he keeps his promise. You come every Sunday. You feel the Holy Ghost. You hear the gospel. You sit there and shrug off conviction and walk out the door. And you come back and do it again the next Sunday. I don't get that. When you could be free and saved, what matters more to you than Jesus? Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.